We're going to jump right into our study today, and uh, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. One of the things that we do here at Calvary is we'll take a book of the Bible and we begin teaching through. And so we, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 17. The big question today, as always, is what do you leave in and what do you leave out? And I have to leave a lot out today to focus in on what we need to especially leave in. Now, we left off last time at the end of chapter 16, so I want to read the last verse of chapter 16. The last verse of chapter 16, Matthew, it says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, one of the things you need to know if you're new to the Bible is that the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. Those uh, chapters and verses were added a thousand years later, so I could say everybody turned to chapter 17, we'd all turn to the same place. But it wasn't, it wasn't originally written that way. So chapter 16 ends and chapter 17, just the very next line just continues the story. So he says, some of you will not die until you see this, and then we're going to find out this is what he means. Chapter 17, verse 1, it says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, I've underlined transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So uh, a couple of things that we need to know. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Luke adds a few details that Matthew leaves out, so I put those there on your outline. And it says, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So now we know the purpose, why they're going up there. And as he was praying, and it's very specific, Jesus is going to be doing the the, the praying here. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. And we find that many times throughout the Gospels. Jesus will be praying, the disciples will be sleeping. It won't always be this way, but it is at this point. So just tuck that away. Verse 2, it says, he was transfigured before them. Now that's interesting because I put this on your outline. The, the word for transfigured is the word metamorpho, to, from where we get our English word metamorphosis. You'll never get it wrong, I promise. You'll never, don't be afraid. You won't get it wrong. Metamorphosis. And, and the idea is that they know it's Jesus, but he's been changed into something very different, very different. And in verse 2, it says, as this metamorphosis takes place, metamorpho, his face shone like the sun. The idea is that because it's a metamorphosis that's taking place, this is not something that's happening from the outside. This is coming from the inside. And the idea is he's not um, reflecting light. He's radiating or emanating the light. It's coming from him. It's so bright, it says that his garments became white as light. So verse 3, it says, Now behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So what's interesting about that is that Elijah has been gone for about 800 years. Moses has passed away some 1,500 years uh, in the past. They, They didn't have selfies. They didn't have pictures but they immediately, they immediately recognize that this is Elijah and Moses. And uh, that's important because it lets you know that we keep our identity in eternity. It also lets us know that, that uh, we 
recognize in eternity who somebody is without an introduction. I don't know how that works out, but that's just one of the things that, that we notice. And, um, so, uh, and we also notice that both Elijah and uh, Moses are very much alive. They're very much alive, and there they are, and they are talking with Jesus. Now, as they're talking with Jesus, in Luke's gospel, it will say this there in your outline. Uh, here tells us what they're talking about. Appearing in glory, we're speaking of his departure, and that uh, goes on to say, uh, which was about to take place in Jerusalem. So they're talking about an event that's about to take place in the very near future, and, uh, and so it's at this point where the disciples have been sleeping, and uh, sadly for them, they don't understand prayer at this point. For them, it's more of a ritual. They don't really see the benefit in it. And sometimes when we're, we're not spiritually where we need to be, uh, we can say stupid things. Am I the only one who's ever said something really stupid and I regretted it? I am, aren't I? <laughs> so notice verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, he wakes up and he sees this, and you know, Jesus is gleaming, you know, hard to look at. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I just thought you should know that. <laughs> okay, so he says, if you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, the, the interesting thing uh, about that, what Peter doesn't realize when he says that, you know, like, I'll make t- three tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, you know, it'd be great, you know, we'll sell tickets, I'll sell t-shirts, John can sell hot dogs, kosher, but you know, we'll sell those, people will show up, it'll be great. What Peter doesn't realize, as he says something very awkward at this point, is that he's just placed Moses and Elijah on the same par with Jesus. And when you do that, immediately God shuts the whole thing down. So notice verse 5, it says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so you don't put anything on par with Jesus. You focus in on him. Elijah and Moses, great, but you, you just don't, you know, don't do that. Uh, interesting thing that it says that they fell to the ground. Um, well, verse 6 and 7, it says, uh, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. And lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. It's interesting how Jesus shines like the sun and that doesn't put them on their face. Moses and Elijah uh, appear, and that doesn't put them on their face, but God speaks uh, from, from heaven, and all of a sudden it's whammo, they're, they're on the ground. What I, what I want you to remember as we go through this today is that Peter's just said something very awkward, and Jesus responds to Peter in verse 7, and says, and Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. It's, it's a very loving response. Keep that in mind as we travel through today. Now, verse 8, I'm going to read from uh, verse 9 rather through verse 13. And it says, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then does the scribe say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. 
so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands, uh, alluding to the crucifixion. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. We've talked about John the Baptist so much, so I'm not going to elaborate on that, only to say that John the Baptist was the one that God sent before the Messiah came, the Christ came, to prepare the way. We've looked at that many times, so if you'll allow me, we'll just leave that there, and then we will move on to verse 14, which is what I really want to talk about today. So verse 14, it says, when they came to the crowd, and as I stop right there, they're coming off the mountain, they come down, meet up with the rest of the disciples, there's the crowd. Now, when Luke tells, or Mark tells the story, Mark is going to say it like this, and I've put this on your outline. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And uh, that word arguing there in the original language is suzuteo. And uh, now if you read that from a literal translation. It won't say arguing. I put that there in your outline. The scribes were questioning with them, and that word also is a tale. It's just questioning or arguing. So when Jesus arrives there and he sees this discussion going on with the, the religious leaders, Jesus says to the disciples, what are you discussing? And that word is a tale with them. So the reason I say that is that that word can mean uh, a number of different things. I put that on your outline. It means to search together. It means to discuss, to dispute, to question, to question with or together, to reason together, or to inquire. So they are in this ongoing conversation with the religious leadership on this particular day. Now, as we've traveled through the Gospel of Matthew in any gospel, any time you encounter the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leadership, are, are they typically believers or are they unbelievers? Typically unbelievers. And so you want to keep that in mind. They're in an ongoing conversation with a group of non-believers, and we're going to find that on this particular day, there's something that they should be able to do, but they can't. They can't. So something here is affecting their faith, and that'll be important for our study. Well, there in verse 14, it says, they came to the crowd, and a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on me and my son, for he is a lunatic. And you want to underline that word lunatic? We'll talk about that. And is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So some of your Bibles will say something like when it says he is a lunatic, some of your Bibles will say he has epilepsy, he has seizures, or he's an epileptic. Um, Sadly, that word has nothing to do with what's going on here. And so I wanted to highlight this word. It'll be important for our understanding as to what's taking place. Uh, The reason that the word lunatic is in the King James, New King James, New American Standard, and some of the others is because that's the the best word uh, for, for this verse. And the reason being, the word there on your outline for lunatic is Selina Zomai. And I might be butchering that a little bit. But I want you to notice it means to be moonstruck or crazy, crazy from the moon, literally. Uh, to be a lunatic. It comes from the Greek word, which I've also put on your outline, for moon, which is selene, or selena. And uh, so that's important. 
and that's the word. Now this is important because when the Bible was translated from the Greek manuscripts into Latin, they chose the word in keeping with this, which would be lunaticus. Does everybody see that? Lunaticus. Which just means we just take the word lunatic. Uh, Lunaticus means luna or lunar, it means of the moon. Now the reason this word is so important has nothing to do with epilepsy is there was a belief in those days that if you looked at the moon, and not held by everybody, but, but some people believed that if you looked at the moon you would become what is defined as moonstruck, you would become crazy, you would become possessed. And one of the things that you find in the Bible and in world history is that the moon was worshipped quite a bit. And it was always in a uh, sort of a, a hostile kind of way. If you go all the way back to the book of Judges, there were the enemies of Israel and they would show up and one of the things that they would have as their symbols would be the crescent moon. And they are a very hostile people. And uh, that moon worship was very, very popular there in the Middle East. Later on, uh, another religion which would morph out of that belief would also choose as its symbol the crescent moon. In case you're wondering, it's not the Buddhist, but uh, they would choose that. So it was believed that that the the moon was somewhat hostile, and and if you looked at it too long, you would become demon-possessed. Now, What's important to understand, first of all, just know that although they had this wacky belief, looking at the moon will not make you demon-possessed. So if you think that, then, then that's not. But here's the point that I want to make. In that society, they had concluded certain things. Those things were not completely true, and so they had a distorted view of how certain things work in some areas as we do today. You know, we have a, they, they had drawn some conclusions, but the conclusions were wrong. They were distorted. We'll see why that's important in a few moments. Verse 16, he says, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Now, also important, I didn't put it on your outline just for fun. Underline the word cure and then in your margins, write the word therapy. The Greek word there is therapia, therapia. And uh, so we would say therapy, which is a medical term. So we're going to see that they've drawn some wrong conclusions. We're going to see that this is a spiritual problem, but there is a physical manifestation to a spiritual problem. Now, because the problem was spiritual, he says, your disciples could not therapia therapy wouldn't work. So uh, we're going to find because it's a spiritual problem, no therapy is going to work. We're also going to find that whatever's going on here, Jesus is going to turn to the dad and he's going to say, this is something that you should be able to take care of. I'm going to share some things today and as I do, uh, I'm not going to be sharing them from the position of condemnation but hopefully, especially for us as dads, we, I, I can share this from the perspective of motivation. So this dad is in a situation. We don't know how he got in this situation, but, but we want to see him get out of this situation. We'll see that as we go. Now in the other Gospels, when they, this man approaches the disciples, he will use the term to cast out. So there's a much greater conversation going on. You know, they couldn't cast him out, they can't therapy him, you know, something's got to happen, it, I, can't, I can't fix him. And uh, so it's at this point where he says, I brought him to your disciples, they can't do anything, 
Then the man says, and Mark's gospel brings this out there in your outline. It says, but if you can do anything to Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I I believe, help my unbelief. What's happened is that the lack of power in the disciples, as he's seen the lack of power in the disciples, he's now questioning if Jesus has any power. Now, if you were to read what I just wrote, what I just read, and say the NIV translation, it will say something like when the man says, you know, if you can do something, please help us. If you can, please help us. In the NIV, it says, if you can, and there's a question mark. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And we tend to read that as though Jesus is becoming defensive. If you can, uh, I want to suggest that nothing is further from the truth, which is why when it says, as I read it from the, the New King James, the King James, the New American, Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. One of the things that we find, Jesus says this, um, and it, it's more of an encouraging tone. And here we find that the dad is like us many times. The dad says there in verse 24 in that little paragraph, he says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief. So, so here's what's going on. You want to write this down. The dad's problem is that he believed that what Jesus was saying was true. He believed that if he could believe that, that then he'd be able to do something. He believed that. But like us, where he struggled is he just couldn't believe it for himself. See, many, many times the, what we do is we look around and we go, God can answer that person's prayer. God could do something on that person. But we think God couldn't do something for me. And just know that that's not true. That's not what Jesus wants you to believe. That's what somebody else wants you to believe. So keep that in mind. When Jesus says, the man says, if you can, and Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. What Jesus is saying, and you want to write this down, is this authority is apparently uh, available to anyone or to everyone. If you want this and you want to operate in this, you can. The disciples were supposed to have it, but they don't. But this man can have it. So Jesus says, if you can, if you can, very encouragingly. Now, verse 17, again, we tend to read rather harshly. Uh, Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving or oh unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Uh, we tend to read that. Did I do that good, by the way? So, <laughs> so we, we tend to read it, first of all, because we have a bias. We, we, we have a bias towards an angry God. Some of us uh, come from a background where we were raised with a lot of religious guilt. Some of us were raised by parents who had a black belt in guilt. And uh, so we were familiar with guilt. And so we, we, we're familiar with the harshness. But I want to suggest a much kinder reading of this. And there's some things that, that uh, we miss. Some of it's the wording and some of it is our bias. Do you remember a few moments ago, they're on the mountain and there's this incredible experience, spiritually speaking, and Peter, the disciple, the apostle, you know, responds by saying like the single most awkward thing you could ever say in the midst of that and it shuts the whole thing down. Remember that? We read it a few minutes ago. And Jesus doesn't turn to him and say, Peter, you're such an idiot. You know, <laughs> when are you going to learn? 
Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let's go. Or don't be afraid. That's important because that's how Jesus responds. So there's some things that we need to work through here. First of all, in uh, verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving, and that word perverted is there. Does everybody see that? We, the part, part of the problem is when we read the word perverted, we associate certain things in our culture with what that word means. But the English language changes all the time. So when I was growing up in, in church, they would talk about suffer the little children to come under me. And I was a little kid, and suffer the little child sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Well, the word in the 1500s, the word sufferment, allow, but language changes, language changes. So here you have this word perverted, but if they were to update our translation, they might use a slightly different word. Let me show you what that word means. The word perverted there is diastrepho. It means to distort. And you might want to underline that, to distort. Or to misinterpret. Misinterpret. And uh, you want to underline that. Now, after that, it can mean morally corrupt, but mostly it means distort and then to misinterpret. So then it, then it goes on. So Jesus points out in this verse that there are two hindrances. Write these down, we'll unpack them. The first two hindrances to that generation, in that generation, and this generation, first of all is unbelief in Jesus and distorted views of Jesus. And that's causing all the problems. In that generation, like this generation, some people believed in Jesus, but most people, most people rejected him. That's why they yelled crucify, crucify. That's why the government stepped in and allowed that to happen. There were thousands upon thousands who believed, but most people didn't believe. And so the generation was characterized by unbelief. That generation had distorted views about Jesus, just as people do now. And you know that because you do something and somebody says, oh, you call yourself a so they have distorted views as to what it means. So in our topic today, we've seen that here's a dad, he has a distorted view about how his son got in this situation. That's not how he got in this situation by looking at the moon. You and I know that. Then he has a distorted understanding as to how we can help him. Your disciples could not therapia him, which is part of it. Therapy isn't going to help. You have, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the disciples are in a conversation with the religious leaders and they have a distorted view as to who the Messiah should be and how the Messiah should be, so they have rejected him as the Christ, the Messiah. Does that make sense? So so you have those two things going on. So I would suggest what Jesus is saying here in verse 17, it's not harsh. He's more observing the situation and he says, Jesus answered and said, oh unbelieving and distorted, we'd say perverted, but distorted generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long should I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Bring him here to me. He's not angry, he's just recognizing the situation. A couple of details that we might pass over. Well, it goes on, verse 18 and 19. He says, Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured at once. By the way, that word cured there is also the word therapia. He was therapied at once, instantly, we might say. And uh, some suggest that's kind of like a, you know, 
Jesus, or, or Matthew's being funny. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? You know, what's the problem? Why, why couldn't we do it? We tried. What was, what was the deal? Well, let's, let's consider a, a couple of things. First of all, let's suggest, and you want to write this down, the problem wasn't God's will. It's not the, it wasn't God's will uh, because Jesus will heal. Jesus will heal him. This is a demon. So this isn't a situation that we could look on and say, um, you know, maybe God just wants you to have this situation and it's going to be a difficult situation in your life. You're going to go through this situation. God's going to use it. You're going to share with other people how God's carried you through this situation. None of that. In, in this situation, it's a demon. Everybody knows when it's a demon, God wants it out. Uh, the other uh, what we might say the other problem uh, wasn't the disciples' authority. You want to write that down. It was just a few chapters back where Jesus said he called his disciples and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits. So, so what's the problem? It wasn't God's will. That's not the problem and it's not the disciples' authority. So what's the problem? Jesus says in verse 20, he says, and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. Now how many of your Bibles say something like because of your unbelief or because of unbelief? Yeah, I, I, that's actually a better word. Because of unbelief. Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. So Jesus tells them the problem because of your, and I like the King James Version on this one, because of your unbelief. That's the problem. Write that down. And then he says, but here's the solution. He says, because of the littleness of your faith, your unbelief, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. So the solution is faith. The solution is faith. You want to write that down. And he says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible to you. So when he says that, he's saying something that they're very familiar with. Let me just show you a picture of a mustard seed. See that little thing on the top of the finger there at the top? That's the size of a mustard seed. The, and the, the point is that the, the mustard seed was not the smallest of seeds, but it was pretty much the smallest seed that you have in your, your, your garden is, is the idea. So Jesus is articulating here, and you want to write this down, it's not the size of our faith, but who our faith is in that makes it effective. You and I live in a generation, a culture, even in church culture, where people say, you just got, you just got to believe, you got to have a little faith, you just have a little faith. And uh, you know you got to. And you said, "Well, who do you have faith in?" We got to. You got to believe in yourself, man. You got to. If you have a little faith in yourself, and get out there and do it. Well, for you and I as believers, having faith in ourselves <laughs> leads to all kinds of problems. Just so you know, if I have faith in myself, I'm done. For you and I as Christians, our faith is in Jesus and what it is that Jesus wants to do, and so that's where we place our our faith. And. Uh, uh, our faith, and you want to write this down, is exercised by speaking to. Speaking to. Jesus says there to his disciples, he says, you will say to this mountain from here, uh, move from here to there. 
Now, it's important that Jesus doesn't say, you will pray about this mountain to move. He says, you will say to this mountain. In Jewish culture, a mountain was their way of of referring to what you and I would call an impossible situation. An impossible situation. So when this dad shows up, he has an impossible situation. He has no idea how, how to fix this. For the disciples, it's at this point that they're not supposed to, when this situation shows up, they're not supposed to gather and huddle and pray about this situation. Something else was supposed to take place so that when this shows up, they don't pray about it, they speak to it. They command it. They command it. And uh, we would call this spoken faith, uh, speaking to, speaking to. Now, there is a great amount in your Bible about what we would call spoken faith or speaking our faith. Whoever says to this mountain. Because part of the church has become very weird about that. The other side of the church looks on and because they are weird, we never speak our faith. Both of us are wrong in this. And, and uh, we can miss out because we miss what Jesus is, is actually teaching. There's a verse there, uh, an address, Mark 11, 23 and 24, where you can, Jesus talks about speaking to. And that's an important part. Uh, a much bigger conversation than we could have today. But spoken faith is when I say about my situation what God says about my situation. Many times we'll say, if you want to know what God says about your situation, write the word promises on your connection card, give us your email, we'll send you a word document. There's a number of promises that deal with what God says about your situation. So when you speak faith, uh, a great verse that you'll hear me use many times, in Amos it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? I walk with God when I agree with God. I agree with God when I'm saying the same thing that God says about my situation. That's operating in faith. That's where I trust God's word over my circumstances. God, you said this, I'm going forward because I'm trusting that your word is true. Many people will come to the place where they believe in Jesus. They never come to the place where they decide to actually believe Jesus. And uh, that's, that's where you really take off. So you have this aspect here where it's speaking to. Now another thing, very important, he uses the illustration as a mustard seed. And uh, so as a seed, and you want to write this down, faith as a seed needs to be planted, nurtured, and grown. Planted, nurtured, and grown. Paul would write to the church in Thessalonica, and he would say, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Not your information, that's good, but your faith is is growing more and more. You and I, when we became believers, we entered into a relationship where as we follow him, he's going to call us to trust him more and more. So we see here that they say, okay, so something's happened we used to have faith to do this, but on this particular day, we don't have the faith to actually do something. So, so what happened? Well, some people would say that 
you know, Jesus invited three guys up on the mountain, but he left nine guys back. And the nine guys got jealous that the three guys got invited, but they didn't get to go. That might sound a little bit ridiculous until you look at the disciples and they're constantly arguing, well, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so when Jesus chooses these, they might have something going on in their heart. And, you know, that can certainly diminish God's power flowing through your life. And that's certainly a possibility. Maybe uh, the disciples didn't have faith on that day because as Jesus shows up, what we find is the disciples were spending too much time in discussion reasoning with people who had rejected Jesus and they're never going to follow Jesus. And so maybe that had an effect on their faith. We don't, we don't know. But we do know that Jesus says that the problem is your unbelief and the solution is faith. And if you had faith, you would be able to do some pretty great things. So that leads us with the question, how do we build faith? Well, Jesus answers that question in the next verse. Verse 21 in your Bible. Now, in case you're wondering, verse 21 comes after verse 20, but it's just before verse 22. So everybody look at verse 21. Again, it will be right after verse 20, and then just before verse 22. Does everybody see verse 21? Does anybody know? Who said no? You, you don't have verse 21 in your Bible? Does anybody else not have verse 21 in their Bible? You don't have verse 21 in your Bible? You don't have a complete Bible. You didn't pay full price for that Bible, did you? <laughs> Why don't you have verse 21? Verse 21 is what answers the question. So some of you don't have verse 21. If you don't have verse 21, it's because you have the NIV standard, the NIV translation, to which some of us would look on and say, we're so sorry, it appears you're NIV positive. And uh, <laughs> so here, here's in a nutshell what took place. All the way back in the very beginning, you had the Greek manuscripts. And uh, the Greek manuscripts... They were ultimately translated into Latin. When they translated that into Latin, that verse 21 was there, and uh, it's been part of the Bible for 2,000 years. About 150 years ago, there were some scholars who looked at some of the manuscripts and they said, you know what? Some of these manuscripts don't have verse 21. And so we think that verse 21 was added later, and uh, so we're going to take it out because we think it's an addition. The rest of us say, no, it's been there for 2,000 years, and then you show up in the 1800s and say, we don't think it was there. So um, some say that it wasn't there, but we say that it's always been there. And uh, so let me read, as Jesus gives the solution, verse 21, he says, he says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus gives the solution, the punchline. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think it's Jesus who wants to say that shouldn't be in the Bible? Or do you think somebody else wants to know that that's not the answer? You think that through? <laughs> I think that it's in the Bible, and, and certainly it's because of the manuscripts from, from 2,000 years. So I, we use the NIV. Uh, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. They, they do communicate some things very wonderfully, but the manuscript is something that we'd say you, you've 
made some glaring mistakes. So there on your outline, for those of you who don't have a complete Bible, I've placed this verse on your outline. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now what I love is that word kind in uh, the manuscripts is the word genus or genus. And it just means breed or species, which leads to a great debate. Uh, are there different species or breeds of these things? We, we do know that there are some of great, greater or lesser authority. So Jesus says, and we can't talk about all of this, but here, here's what we can talk about. Jesus says this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. We don't have time to go into everything today, but a couple things, very quick. Prayer prepares us in advance for what is coming. Prayer prepares us in advance for what is coming. Do you remember the night that Jesus was crucified and he was betrayed? He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes to his disciples who fall asleep and he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I put that there on your outline. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Immediately they go fast asleep. Jesus was able to see that just around the corner there would be a situation, a temptation that would come upon the disciples. He said, if you pray here, you're going to have the ability to stand there. They don't. That temptation shows up. Immediately they flee, they run. Peter denies. Peter even uses what we call in our house a little potty mouth, saying that he doesn't know who Jesus is. We've all seen that. Jesus says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. In our story today, Jesus goes up on the mountain. As he's on the mountain, he's praying. But what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. And those disciples were the cream of the crop. So then they come down and Jesus says, the reason you couldn't do it is because this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. The prayer was to be done before this kind showed up. Does that make sense? So, so we're, we're out of time, and, and I can't talk about fasting, and I can't talk about... But here, here's what I can tell you, that dads, uh, we encountered a dad today, and his family life, because of the situation, I think we'd all agree, was a train wreck. He had a situation that he couldn't fix. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you can. And Jesus turns to him and says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. You and I live in a time where I can promise at some point in our life, this kind, whatever this kind is, is going to show up in our life. Our ability to deal with that, spiritually speaking, is going to be based upon what we are doing in private and that prayer time. I've learned many years ago that if I don't spend that time in prayer on a daily basis, praying for my family, praying for my kids, my marriage, praying for this church, praying for all that God wants to do, praying that God holds on to me, it won't be very long before I would find myself in a great deal of trouble. Jesus says this is the beginning. It's, it's this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. I can't talk about how to de- develop a prayer life, but here's what I can tell you. When you decide to pray, somebody is going to do everything they can to stop you from praying. 
you start to pray, all of a sudden thoughts will start coming to your mind. To-do lists will start coming to your mind. What about this? What about that? Because he knows that when you start to pray, God's going to begin to move. It's going to empower you. And he will do everything he can to stop that. I have to stop there flashing lights at me. Every time we add a service, they cut my teaching time. You have no idea how difficult that is for me. All right. Um, That makes sense today? So dads, pray. And then we can talk about the rest later. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we want to be the dad where you say, if you can, and because we spend that time with you in your word, in prayer, growing, asking, Lord, show me, reveal. I'm trusting your word says this, and so I'm acting as though that's true. Lord, as we do that, we pray that when this kind shows up, that, that uh, we, we will be able to say to that mountain, be taken up and cast away, and it will be done. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for their hunger for your word and the things of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to represent you well and keep us. And then Lord, grow us this week. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.